are building a religion. We are building it bigger. We are widening the corridors and adding more lanes. We are building a religion, a limited edition. We are now accepting callers for these pendant keychains. I'm Jeffrey Grossenbach. This is the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'll be talking to Tom Copeland of Ruby Forge. I've got a Carson Workshops event. Get started with Ruby on Rails happening New York, May 25th, San Francisco, June 8th. Go to carsonworkshops.com to sign up. I'd also like to get your feedback. I'm looking at possibly having some advertising at the beginning of the show, very tiny amount, but it would help me to be able to spend more time in the podcast, release shows more often. What do you think? Would that be too commercial? opposed to the open source nature of this podcast, or would that be a benefit if I was able to release shows more often, put a little bit more money into making the shows even better? Send your feedback directly to boss at topfunky.com. This is Jeffrey Grossenbach. Today I get to feel like Mr. Rogers. Hey kids, we're going to take a field trip to the post office. Instead, we're going to Ruby Forge. Ruby Forge is a place for Ruby developers to post projects, get a subversion repository, track bugs, and post a Ruby gem, which can be easily downloaded by developers. I'm talking to Tom Copeland. He started his career on a TRS-80 and has progressed to Java and Ruby. He's a sysadmin for Ruby Forge and has recently published a book on his PMD project for Java. Welcome. Hey, Jeffrey. Thanks a lot for having me on the show, and, and thanks for producing the Rails podcast. I've really enjoyed listening to all the podcasts and kind of keeping track of it. You know, it helps me uh, keep up with what's, what's going on. So are you actually down there in the server room of Ruby Forge right now? I'm not, although... Since you since you say since you mentioned that the server uh, Ruby Forge is actually living in in Rich Kilmer's basement, so Ruby Forge is also in a basement, uh, just just not mine at, at the moment. Do you think you could SSH into it or something just so we could feel like we're there? <laughs> exactly. May I do some sort of? Uh, well, I don't have X Windows, so I couldn't uh, uh, open an X session. <laughs> actually, I do have. Two SSH terminals open to RubyForge because I wanted to run some queries and get some interesting numbers. So, <laughs> so we're there. Well, that's good. One for each of us. <laughs> so to start with, give us some numbers. How many people visit RubyForge on a daily basis? How many developers are using it? How many projects? Yeah, there's right now. There's about. Well, I'm looking at the front page of RubyForge, and there's uh, 1,577 projects. Uh, 6,500 registered users, and we get maybe three or four new projects a day. So you figure, what's that? A thousand projects a year is is the way it's growing now, and that's that's faster than it was a year ago. So there's a, you know, the second derivative of that is is uh, positive or something. Uh, it gets about. It's hard to say exactly how many hits it it gets because the 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 dynamic part of the site I've got a webalizer thingy running on that and it gets about three hundred thousand hits a day maybe uh, up to four fifty four hundred fifty thousand hits on a on a real busy day if the Google bots are out you know in force 
But then there's that's all, a lot. Yeah, it's a, it's a ton. And then and then there's all the the individual. You know, each project, each Ruby Forge project has a virtual host. So all those are also getting hammered away, and those those don't count. You know, so every time Mongrel, you know, every time someone goes to the Mongrel homepage or or whatever, there's there's a slew of hits there. Uh, so it's so it gets a it gets a bunch of it gets a bunch of traffic, and there's a lot of a lot of people, a lot of people using it, but it seems to be, it seems to be holding up fairly well so far. We're we send about ten thousand emails a day to about twenty thousand some odd recipients. Uh, and let's see. Also, I I kind of totted up some st- some stats on uh, on who's using CVS and who's using Subversion. You know, we just introduced Subversion support back in back in December. And so there, there hasn't been very much time for people to, to, to move over, but already out of those, you know, 1500 some odd projects, there's 489 projects that are using subversion and only there's about, you know, 1100 that are using, they're using CBS. And so it's kind of interesting watching those, you know, those, those numbers sort of, uh, angle towards each other as, as more and more folks convert from CBS to subversion and, a lot of the new projects coming online are using Subversion too, so that, that's been kind of kind of neat to watch, you know. That seems like a pretty quick adoption to get a third of the people on Subversion already. It really is. People are really and there's like uh, Austin Ziegler converted all of his projects over, so so that's you know five or six, and and every you know the, these swaths of, of projects will will switch over. So and of course a a gain for Subversion is a loss for CBS, and, and so the numbers uh, you know. Uh, uh, move together quickly or something you're right so i guess it's more like a quarter on subversion but still people are moving them over yeah yep yep they sure are and and, uh i i haven't you know the only complaint i hear about subversion is uh with folks that don't have the uh public key authentication set up into uh so they're you know using public keys to authenticate to RubyForge, uh, because the Subversion client opens up multiple sockets to the server. So if you're using password authentication, every time you do an SVNCO, then you have to type your password three or four times, which is a which is a drag. So so that's a real big win. If you're using Subversion, uh, you really want to set up your public keys, and it'll it'll make you know a lot less typing of whatever your password is. I should have learned how to do that a long time ago, but I was just reading my big 2,000-page Linux manual. Basically, you just type SSH keygen uh, on the command line, and then that will generate your keys for you, and then you can copy the public key up to the server. Is that how it works? Exactly right. There's a If you go to your uh, Ruby Forge user page, there's like a My Account, and there's an Edit SSH Keys, and you just paste your public key in there. And the next time the cron job runs that syncs all that stuff to the actual file system, it'll put it in your uh, .ssh slash authorized keys file on the server and set the permissions and whatnot. So that's, yeah, and, and, and of course there's, a, you know, it depends on what subversion client you're using. And uh, right now we just support SSH version 1, so that might involve some additional flags on your client side. And, most of that stuff is covered in the, uh, if you go to the support project, there's a docs tab and there's a new project admin guide checklist. And I've sort of shoehorned everything in there. And some folks have written some instructions on how they, they set up their public keys with with various, uh, you know, putty and tortoise and all that kind of thing. All right. So people can go to the documentation tab on RubyForge and find how to do that, right? 
Exactly. And there's a bunch of handy stuff in there too about like configuring your if you have a mailing list and you don't want and you want to uh, you know discard uh, posts from from people who aren't members, which is going to be 99% spam. Then you can. There's notes on how to configure that, and and yeah, there's a lot of good good stuff there. So, what kind of equipment does Ruby Forge run on? That's quite a bit of hits. It's what? It's a Perl application, the GForge open source system. Yeah. What kind of equipment are you running on? It's uh right. The 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 software. It's actually PHP, and there's a bunch of. And it's a Postgres database. Yay, Postgres. All right. And uh, it's <laughs> a little fanboy. This he, after Robbie Russell, you know, a week ago, and then me. Represent. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, PHP plus Postgres plus uh, and all the hardware. It's um, it's just a dual processor Linux box with a couple gigs RAM and a, uh, a SCSI RAID 5, you know, hard drive setup and whatnot um yeah it's not really it's all running on and i was thinking about this it's it's all running on one machine sort of but really a lot of the a lot of the bytes that ruby forge serves up are, are served up by our mirrors by the ruby forge mirrors over in uh in germany uh dennis uh, olkers uh runs a, a mirror for for Ruby Forge over there, and he's serving a terabyte a month of of you know the the Windows installer and, and all these rails and uh, gems and everything. All that's coming from from Dennis's machines and and just one or two other other mirror servers. So while Ruby Forge is it's handling a lot of traffic, yeah, but it's also redirecting a ton of traffic, you know, a, a ton of big downloads to uh, to Dennis's to the to the mirror machines. Now, and this is quite a charitable contribution. I mean, you guys aren't running Google ads. You're not getting wild fame or groupies. Uh, why do you do it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I work for Rich Kilmer. You know, he. he I don't want to discourage a... you. Don't stop doing it. <laughs> he he. Uh... Rich runs. Uh, he's the CEO of InfoEther, which is just a small company here in Northern Virginia. And uh, Rich is a big, big fan of uh, Ruby. So he, he's the company has paid for the for the Ruby Forge hardware, and, and Rich has had the machine in his basement, and and you know he's got the he paid for the the SDSL lines and all that kind of thing. So it's just, uh, yeah, I think we're going to kind of take a step up. I. Uh, Rich has been talking to the Ruby Central guys, to Dave Thomas and to to Chad Fowler, and I think we're gonna, I think we're going to get some new hardware and maybe move uh, Ruby Forge out of uh, out of the basement into a uh, a real colo facility with with things like you know generators and and you know plugs that that don't get kicked out of the wall and, and that kind of thing. So so that's Ruby Forge is going to move up here here pretty shortly, but. But you know, just it's just uh, Rich lets me spend a lot of time during the workday, uh, you know, fixing this, that, and the other thing, and twiddling Ruby Forge this and that, and uh, so it's uh, yay Ruby, you know. Well, that's great, and it definitely seems like it's very reliable. I, I think I've rarely ever gone to the site and seen it down, or not been able to at least connect to to look for gems or whatever. Tell us a little bit about the hooking with the Ruby Gem system a year ago or something, I guess, when I was just kind of getting started as a Ruby and a Rails developer, I 
wanted to put out a gem, and so I signed up. I got an account, and almost instantly, now I can publish a Ruby gem. Did you guys work with Jim Wyrick and the other people who wrote the Ruby gem system, or did that did they work around your system to get it to work so smoothly? Oh yeah, well. At, at first, right, you would just put a gem up and it would appear on your, your RubyForge projects, you know, the, the files section and people could download it. But then Rich Kilmer and Jim Wyrick got together and they they worked around, like you said, they worked around the, the GForge, the way GForge has files sitting in the file system and whatnot to build the, uh, the gem index. And then maybe a month ago, uh, Jim Wyrick making some of the Ruby gems internals to make that that gym index a lot smaller and faster and this and the other thing so so yeah it's been a real uh both rich and jim have 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 done a lot of work to make that to make that process uh nice and fast and and we've made some changes recently so that the gems get synced out to the uh, mirror service a lot faster so that when you when you when you hit release on a gym there's a cron job that checks that for new gems every 10 minutes or so. And after it does, after it copies the gem into the proper place and rebuilds the index, it does a HTTP get on one of the uh, mirror servers, uh, you know, a listener, a web brick listener that's up there. And, and that reaches back and R syncs over any new gems. So it's, uh, so that, that whole system has kind of grown, you know, kind of incrementally, and uh, I hope it's I hope it's going to continue to continue to get better. But yeah, Jim has been uh, Jim has been great. He's 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 really uh, put a lot of work into uh, trying to make that that system work. And 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 with the new version of Ruby Gems that, that I'm not sure when it's coming out, but when it comes out, it's going to make uh, things a lot faster for uh, for anyone who's doing Gem install Rails or or whatever else. Now speaking of other other kinds of software distribution apart from the website, the Rails plugin system works around source code control and especially seems to work pretty well with subversion. And I'm sure already probably people are hosting Rails plugins with you so they can install those into their Rails app. Have has David Hanmar Hansen or any of the team talked to you guys about how to maybe use the Rails plugin system with RubyForge and make that work better? You know, I've I've seen I've seen that too, right? The Rails plugins, and I've I've installed. I've, we've got a Rails app for our company, and I've 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 gotten, uh, gosh, a couple of plugins from there. That that one that that emails out stack traces, you know, if something goes wrong. Yeah, that's useful. Yeah, very. That's a that's a very cool one. And and I went through that that plugin installation process, which was it, it worked great. You know, I I haven't I haven't really uh, I haven't, we haven't really talked with anybody. With anyone about that, I know that, that Rich is, Rich Kilmer is in contact with uh, DHH pretty regularly, so uh, I guess it just hadn't hadn't come up yet. But yeah, that's a that's a thought. Now, and of course, right? There's lots of gems that are on Ruby Forge. You know, I think like Axes extension, maybe Axes taggable, or there's a whole slew of Axes you know things that are, but but not, but but not really with that whole plugin thing. Well, I think it was designed probably to to work pretty agnostically around many different kinds of systems, so maybe it would not be a benefit to make it as dependent on a certain server system like Ruby Gems is, but yeah, that's, that's could work together like there's, that. 
There's some more. I wish that that I was able to spend some more time on Ruby Forge to do some more, you know, Ruby specific things because GForge is, is sort of a generic, uh, you know, software project management thing, and it'd be nice, like, it'd be nice to have your R doc in a in a tab on your your Ruby Forge summary page and. Uh, I don't know, just some just some things like that, but, or and and to have your Ruby Gem downloads appear in that little uh, you know the the graph of your your stats and, and things like that, you know. I mean, there's there's a lot of thing. I think there's some things we could do with Ruby Forge to make it more more Rubyish. I mean, you know, we've got so many projects and so many users, it'd be cool to 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 make uh, Ruby Forge more Rubyish. But but you know, all that stuff takes time and and all that kind of thing. Now, do you? Somebody said last week, "Hey, it'd be great to rewrite Ruby Forge in Ruby. It wouldn't have to be Rails. Maybe they could use Why the Lucky Stiffs Camping or something like that." But you know, that would still be a pretty huge project to rewrite the whole thing. Do you think? How many people would it take to do that, or is that even worthwhile to even consider? Yeah, you know, actually, uh, Ryan Davis was. Uh, he and I were talking about that about a week ago, and I got him. A, I, I gave him a sort of a sanitized database dump of, of Ruby Forge, and, and he was he was hacking away on on something there. I'm not sure how that's going, but but yeah, that's a I mean that's a possibility. Uh, I guess of course the the big thing is is converting over the database schema to make it look more. Uh, I, I mean I would assume this if it was on Rails, then you would want to you would want to move it over to to make the the table names nicer and the all the relationships work together and, you know, the, the usual rail stuff. And, and there's all that legacy data in there. So you have to, it'd be one heck of a migration, uh, migrations file, you know, to, to do that. Uh, you know, I, it just PHP is, it's what it's, it's its own language. It's what it's, you know, I don't know it really all that well, but it, I see a lot of things in the GeForce code that I know I could do in, in Ruby uh, and especially someone, you know, a, a real guru like, like Ryan or Eric Hodel or one of those guys, you know, could do a, could do a lot, you know, could do it a, a lot shorter and much nicer. Uh, of course, then you, then you got the problem of, okay, now you've, now we've, you know, rolled our own, you know, uh, project management system. That's uh, the only one of its kind. I mean, is that good? Is that a, is that what you want to do? Uh, like uh, for the Postgres guys, they had this thing called Gborg, which was, I think, a big PHP or Perl app. I'm, I'm not even sure what. And they they recent they're they're sort of going through the process of converting all the projects over to a to a GForge instance called uh, called PG Foundry. So there's I don't know. There's all kinds of you know you can go back and forth on that one. So you'd have to weigh the benefit, and make sure you can still support hundreds of thousands of hits a day. With working the same way and and being as reliable, it would be a pretty pretty big task. But I'm sure Ryan Ryan and Eric are up to it. I'm sure if we gave them an up uh, Red Bull, they would be able to do it in a weekend. <laughs> yeah, that's right. As long as it was, uh, yeah, maybe Seattle.rb and Portland.rb could get together and uh, uh, yeah, they probably could knock it knock it out on a weekend. <laughs> so Rails has been one of the Top Ruby gems, uh, I think 500,000 downloads or something like that. It's probably even increasing. Did you notice that in the early days of fall 2004 after it was released? Or did that kind of, the popularity, did you find out about the same time that everybody else did that it was becoming more and more popular? Oh, yeah. It uh, it shot right to the top of the uh, the Ruby gems 
uh, download lists and whenever they would do a new release uh, even though it's it was really something because even though Ruby Forge was redirecting uh, every single gem fetch to a to a mirror so all if someone said a gem install rails all Ruby Forge would do was serve back uh, you know six HTTP 302 redirects that was still enough well actually since it each gem client had to download the gem index first that I guess that that really took some time but but anyway uh, even though all the gems are being served by mirrors every time they do a release it, it's still uh, it really really bogs uh, bogs Ruby Forge down um, and I think I think part of that is due to uh, you know Ruby Forge being on a on a DSL line and, and Richard basement and once we get that to a once we move it to a real colo facility, that'll that'll clear that up. But yeah, it's really been the that's been the big driver for uh, for for files uh, on Ruby Forge, and and of course that drives other things like the like Kurt Hibbs uh, Windows installer for uh, for Ruby. You know that I was just looking at the stats for that, and it gets downloaded like a hundred thousand times a month now it's just crazy which is which is up like last year this time it was getting downloaded maybe seventeen thousand times a month which is to me sounds like a huge number but compared to you know a hundred thousand so uh, yeah it's it's crazy and that's that that's why you know dennis is that's why the mirrors are are pushing uh a terabyte a month over a terabyte a month now because because right rails is driving all sorts of other things it's it's interesting with with ruby most of the releases are very small you know i mean how big is a a rails extension or how big is a you know gruff you know what's it 50k or 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 something like that that's even if you include the the r dot so so for the most part bandwidth in the problem but but for for some of the things that that have to include a lot of things like the windows installer you know those are there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of bandwidth involved there's not a lot of of disk space overall, uh, well, we've still got maybe 120 gigs free on, on the Ruby Forge machine, but there's a uh, but there's a lot of a lot of bandwidth that, that gets gobbled up. Well, moving on from Ruby, you work with a couple different languages, as obviously many developers do. You recently wrote a book on your project called PMD. Tell us a little bit about that. What is PMD? And what? How did you start the project? Yeah, well, thanks for giving me the chance to plug my <laughs> to do a to insert a gratuitous book plug here. But yeah, I, PMD is a Java uh, static analysis tool, so it reads in Java code and finds you know unused variables and and uh, yeah, suboptimal uses of various Java libraries like your string buffer and string and collections and all that kind of thing. There's like, there's 160, 180 different, different rules that people have written using PMD to find various Java coding problems. And it uses a Java CC generated grammar, which is interesting for folks who are interested in that stuff. Uh, I, it, the project started as uh Info Ether, we were on a, a government contract and, and they needed to do some Java code analysis. So we, so me and another guy wrote it and it's been slowly enhanced and, and more rules have been added and so forth over the last three or four years. 
Um, and so, yeah, I wrote a book about it, um, PMD Applied, uh, pmdapplied.com, and it, it just has all sorts of, you know, stuff about how to write rules and how the thing works and all that kind of thing. So it's a, it's a great piece of art, uh, that book. Now, is there any plan to extend maybe the engine itself to apply to Ruby and be able to parse Ruby code and give some of the same kinds of reports, or is that even necessary or worthwhile? There's PMD has a sort of a sub-project called CPD, which is a copy-paste detector, and it goes around and finds duplicate code in uh, in source code files. And in Java, you know, that can be a that can be well, I guess in any language that can be that can be quite a problem. So this copy-paste detector does work with, with Ruby. It'll read your Ruby code in and find uh, places where you've got the same uh, t- you know, strings of tokens, where you've got the same four or five lines of code in, in several places. So that, so that part does work with Ruby. But PMD itself doesn't work with Ruby. Um, we've done, there's a, there's a Java extension, there's a, there's a JSP. You can write Java rules or JSP rules, but there's no way to write Ruby rules. I, I wonder. I've I've thought about that a couple times, and I, I wonder if uh, it's difficult for me to to say how how useful that would be. I, I, I guess I would. You know, there's a few static analysis. There's a few Ruby static analysis projects on RubyForge right now. I think like Check for R and and. Uh, a couple others, and none of them seem to have gotten very far, and that kind of that kind of erodes my confidence of, of being able to do with much with that. I, um, I wonder if, since Ruby is such a dynamic language, if the number of things that that you could do with uh, with static analysis would be would be pretty limited. But but I don't know. I wonder. I mean, how many how many Ruby library idioms are there that you could uh, detect and and replace with another with another type of uh, uh, invocation? Like you could suggest. You know, you could be using reject here, or you could be using uh, inject, or uh, I don't know things like that. It's 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 hard to say. I I. I Kind of keep an eye on on Ryan Davis's blog and, and those guys just to see if they're going to do something like that with their uh, with all the the parsing stuff that they're doing. Yeah, the uh, Ruby Ruby or Meta Ruby rewriting Ruby in Ruby. Maybe they'll be able to get more into the guts and do some of that stuff more automatically. Right, and the whole thing about the I guess their uh, their their reading in Ruby code and creating the the abstract syntax tree and sort of converting it to like an S expression looking thing and yeah I wonder if they'll uh, come up with anything with anything along those lines um, yeah it's hard to it's hard to say I, nothing's really things just haven't jumped out I guess with Java there's a lot of stuff that's that's that it's very obvious that that's easy to catch or, or that's straightforward to at least identify. I'm not sure. I guess I just haven't seen that much with the Ruby that I think there's just not enough low hanging fruit that I can see um, that that would make an effort like that worthwhile. But maybe there is, you know, it, it'd be interesting to, to give it a whirl. And I, I, I know I want to keep an eye on, on, on some of these, some of the guys that are doing stuff like that to see how that, see how that sorts out. Well, finally, you published that book that you were talking about through a small publisher whose other titles include such tantalizing technical titles as a children's story about canine (laughs) vocabulary and a Vietnam War mystery, and then they have Java code parsing. 
with PMD. So why did you choose that publisher? And do you think that going with a small publisher or self-publishing was a good choice in that case? Yeah, you can see the synergy there between the the canine vocabulary and the Java static (laughs) analysis. I think there's a lot of the the Venn diagram for those uh, audiences, you know, a lot of intersection there. If you like this book, maybe you'll like the other ones. (laughs) Exactly. That's right. Uh, You know... I know the the fellow who runs the the publishing company, so he and I have have gone to the same church for for about eight or nine years now. We've we've uh, just talked about a lot of things, and, and uh, so that's that's why I'm I'm going with those guys. I I did read that I think it was DHH had made a post about uh, about self publishing and about the pragmatic programmers and. Or, or small publishings, and then I saw Tim O'Reilly's response to it, which was real good. It, it was a it was a great discussion. They went back and forth. You probably that's probably the one you're talking about. Yep, that was a yeah, that was a great that was a great discussion. I I don't I don't really know. I, um, it was it's it's been nice working with uh, with uh, this with Centennial Books. Uh, I've I've really enjoyed really enjoyed that and. Uh, with the technical review stuff, of course, the uh, the guy who runs the Centennial Books isn't gonna isn't gonna do much tech, technical review. But I can I can just go to other folks in the open source community. I'm I'm working on actually a second book for him on uh, on generating parsers with uh, Java CC, and it's the same kind of thing. He'll he'll do all the legwork of putting the book on the website and, and getting the production runs and everything. And I'll go out and I'll find the guys who are interested in, in reviewing, you know, the Java CC tokenizer uh, specification and all that kind of thing, which is, which is fine. Cause I, I, you know, I, I correspond with those guys anyway. So yeah, I, I thought that was a real neat discussion uh, that, that those guys had. And I'm not, I'm not sure which, uh, I think all the publishers are getting more agile and, and, and better at writing and, and better at public publishing technical books and doing the beta books. Everybody's got a version of beta books. Um, but this seems to be working. Well, thanks for spending a few minutes. It's been uh, interesting, and we definitely appreciate all your work keeping Ruby Forge up and running. It's a huge benefit to the community, and we'd be in a hard spot if we didn't have that. So thank you. Well, thanks again for for having me on the podcast, and and thanks again for uh, you know taking your time to record all these things and putting them online and everything. It's a it's a it's a real neat thing, and and I'm, I appreciate, it and I'm sure a lot of other folks do too. This has been the Ruby on Rails podcast. Transcripts are now available and are being sponsored by imapenguin.com. Who would like to remind you that a morning without coffee is like having something without something else. Microphones donated by Samson Audio, intro music by Cake, closing music by Why the Lucky Stiff and His Thirsty Cups. (laughs) 